I don't think you have any notion of the true strengths and depths of the opposition to our work. There's a whole medical establishment, of course, baying to send Freud to the auto da fe. But that's as nothing compared to what happens when our ideas begin to trickle through in whatever garbled form they're relayed to the public. The denials, the frenzy, the incoherent rage. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. We are back in the studio. Jason McCoy alongside my friend and co-host. No, some more. And we are the cast of Put, Put on, on the, the Couch. couch. I am fresh off of my Italian cruise liner. Fresh. The sea, yep. Off the seaside. How was it, buddy? It was absolutely incredible. Sun, fun, a lot of... Lot have of, some drinks? Had some drinks. It sounds like you had some pleasure. Yeah, man. I, I'll say the food, the sun, uh, music, man. The entertainment. The, the, a lot of entertainment. That's what it's all about, right? Yeah. That's what it's all about, yeah. man. Again, if you've got that disposable income we talked about in one of our last episodes. Well, we said money can't buy you happiness, but it can certainly be like a, a joy lubricant. Well, I'll tell you one thing. I know what it's like to be miserable, but I have a sneaky suspicion that I would feel better being broke sitting inside my Ferrari. I'm sure I'm sure you would. I'm sure you would. A nice car always makes it feel better. A movie theater in your house. I mean, why does the White House have a bowling alley? First of all, I don't really like bowling. You bowl? No, I think that's for rich people. Oh, oh, I mean, if you have it in the house. Oh, I was going to say. I was uh, just thinking Rick, about the Vanderbilts, all, all those say, guys. You've never been bowling if you think it's no, a rich I, I like bowling, but I'm thinking if you've got one in your house, man, yeah, I mean, that's just a little bit overkill, right? White House also used to have a pool, but they got rid of it. Yeah. I mean, who, filled in that space. Who, who decides that? Well, it depends because if you have an Eisenhower putting green, you might go for the pool, right? I mean, because it's a nice accent around the pool. Yeah, good point. So... I don't know how they do that stuff, man. But here's the here's the bottom line: money can buy you. There are things money can't buy you, right? Can't money buy you can, love. Can't buy you love. Friendship. Nope. Can't buy health. Well, it can probably. Well, we've got a, we've got a guy coming on uh, in the next episode that's going to argue that it can not only buy you health, but it can buy you life. We've got the million wow. dollar man coming on, man, the Bonic Man. Okay. What guy was that? had a double lung transplant. He's oh, going to come tell us all okay. about it. Cool. Hey, look. Before we start, I want to get holy for a minute. All right. Okay. It's a beautiful day here at the state capitol. Great day to be a Satanist. Hail Satan. About it. Hail Satan! We're not what you think we are. Ooh, I yeah. felt the spirit move through yeah, me. It's, it's a little dark. I mean, it, it can be dark. It depends on, on how you look at it. That I guess it depends is, on your uh, persuasion, right? That is... Uh, the Satanic Temple, uh, birth well, out of San Francisco. Well, Anton LaVey, right? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Church of Satan. Church of Satan. So, uh, you know, I, I, I like talking a little bit about Satanism, and we'll get into that uh, more. But why don't we uh, take a quick break? I'll come back, set the table, and we'll talk about the Epicurean life, the fun in life, and the things that money can buy you that give you some serious pleasure. All right, let's do it. Hello, welcome back, Jason McCoy, alongside my friend and co-host Nelson Boyd, and we are the cast of Put, Put Him on, on the Couch. Back, back, back for another episode. Largesse, surplus, yeah, frivolity. like your cruise, man. How was your cruise? Wonderful, wonderful. Thanks for asking. Sun, fun. Did you indulge? Alcohol, oh, okay. food. There you go. Spent too much money. Spent Sounds like exactly what we're talking about. Too much time on the wild side, living the epicurious life. Yeah, you can't spend too much time doing that unless you spend too much time doing that. You know what I mean? Yep. Good for you, man. Well, welcome back. You look, you look tan. Yeah, a little tan. I stayed up on the uh, well, look, private deck a little oh. more than probably I should have. Well, look, you've been sinning. You've sure. been overindulging. Yeah. Uh, how about we do this? Why don't we open today uh, with, a, with a little little prayer? Okay. All right? We do not sacrifice children. The foundation of Satanism is built upon the self and carrying out the devil's work. Hail Satan. Hail Satan. Hail Satan. Hail Satan. Hail Satan. Wow. Okay. 
Well, I like the emphasis on the self. <laughs> yeah, Certainly, right. I can get behind that because I was celebrating Manny. the self uh, for the last week or so. Absolutely, but a hell Satan. But the hell Satan you, got sir. me, man. Yeah, it gets a lot of people, man. But let me tell you something: Satanists are uh, deeply misunderstood. Well, they're definitely people too, right? That's right, and they don't really believe in uh, in magic or the underlord of any kind. Well, that sounds they're a kind, lot. Like it sounds a lot like you. Yeah, sounds a lot like me. The yeah. atheists, except I just don't believe in them, them either. I just, I, I don't believe in, um, I guess I don't believe in anything, do I? Well, you're going to have to uh, take a look at this documentary. Because, no, that's not true. You do believe in You've talked about a brotherhood, a moral compass. Oh, so yeah, you're not yeah. devoid of these things. And, and neither are Satanists. They just like to have a good time pissing people off while they, while they worship. But I thought I'd bring you back in with a little Hail Satan. Nice. So tell me, what's uh, Satanism got to do with the good life? So, look, man, people are always interested in things that give them pleasure. They've always, throughout history, throughout civilized history, indulged in things that just make them happy. Like food? Food. Um, Well, food, I think, for the last, you know, two, three hundred years. Before that, it was really a necessity, but it's interesting how it has transformed um, since the you know, threat of famine has lessened or lacked, um, you know, so, so much over the last 200 years. Yeah, it, ma- it makes focusing on, like, getting it right and presenting it beautifully and taste. Sure, but uh, there's always been a, a social aspect of the meal and anything social. Um, you know, gatherings at the amphitheater to enjoy a tragedy or a comedy, mm-hmm. uh, gatherings in the Coliseum to enjoy violence, and, and lest ye judge. Uh, before you knock the Romans, sit down and watch one episode of SVU and tell me who's violent. I mean, well, yeah. we've always enjoyed a little violence. Well, you know, I hear a lot of people saying things, especially older folks, my grandpa included. Uh, rest in peace, grandpa. He said um, things were better back in the day. Things tasted better. Things were more fun. He used to like traveling down memory lane and you know, I've been thinking about that as we're working on these episodes about the good life, whether or not that's true. Like, if I really sit down and think, what did I have just 20 years ago, let alone 50 years ago when I was born, that is so much better than it is today, right? Like, seriously, music? I mean, Cardi B, man? I mean, come on. How do you beat Cardi B? And food? I mean, have you had one of those turduckins? Holy crap. It's I'm not like, a turducken guy. Man, again. I'm not a turducken it's, guy. It's, but each it's not own. about largesse so much, even though that's nice too. It's about the, I don't know, the complexity or the, um, it's about the, the layering of flavors. I feel like that's what's so good about the Epicurean life. Is like that's right. Layering flavors, right? That's right. One's not good enough. Three is not going to make it better unless two of those three are different. Yeah, but we got to be careful not to uh, oversimplify what the Epicurean life means because it's not a constant smack high. No. Um, and, and it's the same with Satanism, yes, or, or hedonism in general. There is an emphasis on pleasure, and I think pleasure in all cultures is often misunderstood, too often maligned. But we must be careful. Yeah, it's definitely not the kind of barometer you want to count on. No, and overindulgence is a great source of pain. And so part of the Epicurean life is avoiding overindulgence. A big part. Maybe the most important part. Yeah, I think overindulgence can lead to a lot of problems. So look, why don't we uh, take a quick break, come back, I'll set the table, and we'll start talking more about pleasure. Let's do it. I think you queued up the wrong track. I think <laughs> yeah. that was for our episode no, on that, sex. That was still g Easy uh, <laughs> remix with ASAP Rocky, Cardi B, and French Montana, I gotcha, believe. Gotcha. No limit for all of you ballers out there. Well, we might have to bring it back for our sex episode. But look, today we're talking about the Epicurean life. We're talking about the good life, and we're talking about how pleasure can add to it. Um, as human civilization developed, something unique happened. While the desperate struggle for survival that had existed before pre-civilized man didn't disappear with the advent of human settlement slowly and over time it did ebb and of course as it did human beings sought different outlets to enjoy themselves to lessen pain and well 
to just live. As civilizations became more complex and acquired more wealth, these indulgences grew more complex and often more interesting. When we get to ancient Greece, in some ways, these indulgences became more than distractions. They become the focal point of what it meant to live the good life. The philosopher Epicurus believed that the greatest good in the universe was pleasure, and that living in such a way that would result in the most pleasure was the key to happiness and an ethical life. Now, just as Machiavelli's philosophy in The Prince is not as simple as the ends justify the means, it would be crazy to dumb down the Epicurean life to just do what feels good mantra. As we all know, great pleasure in the form of over or improper indulgence can and usually will cause great pain. But the idea that things like consensual sex, food, drugs, drink, and anything else that brings pleasure is the purpose of life has undeniable appeal. In the modern era, the philosophy of Epicureanism maintains a number of devoted followers. Among them are the people you heard from to start this episode. Members of the Church of the Satanic Temple don't believe in anything supernatural. Their followers view the world as an accident and as different. They believe that good comes from responsible pleasure and that this pleasure should be our overall pursuit. Whether or not human pleasure is the sole purpose of our existence will and should be debated, but the fact remains that enjoying life through our indulgences and entertainments is a big part of what makes life worth living. So sit back, relax, most definitely pour yourself a glass of wine, as I have. If you are listening while doing some cardio, find a runner's high, because we are about to go ahead and put pleasure on the couch. Right, all right. Pleasure, buddy. Nice Pleasure. Job. So, Why did you go on that cruise, right? Well, too to much. Is, yourself, too much man. is not enough, or maybe too much is too much. I, I'm sitting here thinking. Well, should the mantra be excess in moderation? I love that excess in moderation. Trademarked excess in moderation. Maybe That's we'll a, put them on the couch. Trademark. Well, may, we did and, it right and, there. And Bang. maybe ex, maybe excess in moderation will be the name of this episode. Or maybe it should, it should be the name of this episode. It should also be the thing we put on the T-shirt for the 100th follower. Yeah. Excess. Excess in moderation. I love moderation. that. That's awesome. Yeah, my good friend Phil McCaskey used to say, too much is not enough. Yeah, I would disagree. I mean, if you want to live the pain-free life, the life that pursues yeah. pleasure, and you overindulge in anything, yeah. sex, drugs, music, entertainment, to the point where it's affecting your relationships, well, then you're experiencing more pain. Yeah, you might be moving into addiction. Absolutely. Or you may just be moving into, again, that 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 world of diminishing returns that oftentimes overindulgence will bring you, whether it's with food, sex, whether it's with just accumulating things. Um, unless, of course, you have a psychological disorder to hoard, right? Yeah. Uh, and that makes me wonder, like, what is it that makes these billionaires want to hoard so much money, you know? Because the evidence is pretty clear. Uh, according to Dan Gilbert at Harvard, out of his lab, the hedonics lab, again, we have a set point, much like our blood pressure, body temperature. And the idea is that even if you win a lottery, within about six months to a year, you're going to go back in terms of your satisfaction in life, your happiness, your emotionality. You're going to go back to exactly where you were before you earned, before you not earned, before you won that lottery. Absolutely. And that's a good thing evolutionarily, Absolutely. right? Sure. I mean, if you sure. lose an arm or a leg, you'll be miserable for a little while, but within about six months to a year, if you can, if you can make it through, you're going to be back to basically where you were. So talk to me from an evolutionary perspective about Pleasure. Is this something that is unique to modern man and civilized man, or is there some sort of evolutionary benefit to seeking pleasure? Oh, yeah. Well, I'd say for, for well, let's starters. Let's sex aside. I was right? going to say, no, well, I was, was going to say, episode. you know, <laughs> God, I heard, made orgasm so that men would have sex. <laughs> the idea was that even the most enjoyable, important biological imperative known to really any sexually reproducing species is something that we probably wouldn't have done if it didn't feel so damn good. Yeah, okay, yeah. Well, look, I mean, uh, and you talk 
certainly in certain goals. And, and, you know, I, I really, but no, we can talk about food and, and yeah, well, I, I really do friendships wanna, and all no, that stuff too. We, yeah, we can begin with should. sex. We can begin no, with no, sex. No, no, that's okay. We'll, we'll we'll save sex for the last episode. We'll give it its own um, episode. We'll we'll pay very specific and careful attention. So what you're saying is we're gonna go really, really slow. slow, right? <laughs> we're gonna focus on the pleasure points. Uh, Spend a lot of time building all up. Right. Yeah. All right. Sounds. But sounds... No, let's let's just continue with this conversation about food, for instance. Right? Okay. Yeah. Why What's Why would there be a... what What is the evolutionary benefit to overindulgence in food? Overindulgence in food, by the way, is really a symptom of just global excess. It and might success seem. Yeah. It might seem. Success. But I would say that you know, evolutionarily speaking, how many times have you seen a dog, hungry or otherwise, pass up a meal? I mean, that's in Never. our nature, right, to hoard, to take as much as we can. And it's, it's interesting. A lot of people who study the evolution of consumer behavior, like uh, a colleague of mine in British Columbia or a colleague of mine in Montreal named God Syed, he uh, has found that, you know, people will spend more money at a grocery store if they can get an item three for a dollar because it tickles the hoarding instinct, right, to get a group of items at one price. They won't spend as much money if the items, oddly enough, are 19 cents each. Also, if you've ever been to a restaurant when you're completely full and everyone around you is full, but that dessert cart comes out. Oh, come maybe, on. People don't, maybe you people don't, don't get dessert. Maybe you don't get the dessert yourself, but if someone says, hey, I think I'll order one for the table, you're going to be like, hey, did you, did you add my spoon? You're going to want to taste, right? Everybody has enough room for one taste. Likewise with drinks. You know, how many times have you said, yeah, I'm cutting it off. I don't want any more of this drink. Whether it's water or your favorite liquor drink, you're going to take a last swig before you leave that bar, leave that restaurant. I noticed that with my that kids. That is true. I Isn't that, that weird? Right? That you're, is, I, like I, you're I never getting up from the table. That. You're getting up from the table. You're you walking know, away and you even look back. Even if you're not finishing the drink, <laughs> you're you still grab, having one more You're going to take one more sip. You I just see. can't. And, it's, and I think evolutionarily, it basically are, it, it suggests that we didn't know where our next drink was going to come from. Which is so why you have I to say put as much in the tank as possible. Which is why I say overindulgence in food specifically is a modern problem, right? Well, it's, and, and what oh, I, I see what you're saying. You, you couldn't the consequences of overindulging abs- are so much greater now. Yeah, we, we, we noticed the consequences. Type one, because type two it was, diabetes. It was an me. evolutionary benefit yeah, yeah. 500 years ago. Now it is. Well, yeah, we're a decided spe- uh, threat to we're, our we're evolutionary to so much, survival. We're having to work so much harder for the food. Yeah, I mean, just consider how many times you had to chew in order to digest a piece of meat or or a root or a tuber, for instance. I mean, most of our ancestors spent just hours and hours during the day sitting there doing nothing except chewing the food. And we know this because some of our living ancestors, like the gorilla, they do the same thing to this day. They eat a lot of roots and tubers, and they just sit there and chew and chew and chew. Why? Because they haven't figured out how to boil water and soften their food. Right. Well, look. Food, you know, I think we're going to get into some of that with health. Uh, but I all the, the three things I'm really interested in, and especially from an evolutionary perspective, I don't see it. Yeah, yeah. Is uh, entertainment. Sure. Uh, sto- oh, entertainment, storytelling. Um, I'm really interested in uh, drugs. Mm. And I don't mean personally, although sure. if you're offering. And I'm really interested in uh, in drink. I okay. think, you know, the, these these carnal sins, these not carnal sins, but these these pleasures that um, throughout history have been pushed back against. Yeah. Uh, every civilization has warned against these things. Yeah. And today, you know, Satanists, hedonists say, well, okay, why? Yeah. And I think that's an interesting question. So is there... Yeah, can we eat, drink, and be merry? Yeah, can we do that or not? Or should we do that or not? What is stopping us i'll remember forever i was watching a, a movie with um al pacino uh heat well no no it was um uh, was the was a was movie. he, the, he was, was he a the devil he was the devil okay yeah yeah i know what you're talking called? about i thought he was the devil in several movies but i know the one you're talking about yeah it was um <coughs> the devil's advocate the devil's, devil's advocate, advocate. Yeah. and uh here just take a look at this clip from the devil's advocate this is with the final scene correction you took Popes, swamis, snake handlers, all feeding at the same trough. Whose ideas were those? You played me! It was a test! Your test! And call in! 
knowing he was guilty, seeing those pictures, what did you do? You put that lying bitch on the stand. You brought me in. You put me there. You made her lie. I don't do that, Kevin. That day on the subway, what did I say to you? What were my words to you? Maybe it was your time to lose. You didn't think so. Lose? I don't lose. I win. I win. I'm a lawyer. That's my job. That's what I do. Arrest my case. Yeah. Yes, yes. Take a listen. You can't yeah, see yeah, it. Yeah. But look, here's the thing, right? That idea of enjoying yourself sure. is sinful in and of itself. Yeah. The act of receiving pleasure from something. And and that's a, an appealing idea that he offers that guilt is like a bag of bricks. Just put it down. So my question to you is if, as a psychologist, if I have... 10 drinks a day. Yeah. Okay, let's say I have one drink an hour for 10 hours every single day. Yeah. My work doesn't suffer. My relationships don't suffer. In fact, they're not impacted at all. Mm -hmm. They might be helped. I might be a nicer right, guy. Right, What's wrong with that? What's wrong with that? I mean... what? Why should I feel guilt? Why should I feel anything well, for enjoying myself? Well, first of all, for the average person, if they... If they're doing 10 drinks a day, I think it begs the question of whether or not they really are well-adjusted. If they really are getting by and and that's not affecting, you know, their day-to-day -day, uh, requirements or day-to-day -day responsibilities. But I'll, uh, I'll grant you, let's say, five drinks. Let's say you're a pretty big guy like myself. Uh, you've got a really good metabolism. You pack on the calories five drinks probably would barely give you a buzz what's wrong with that if you still go to work uh maybe nothing maybe nothing but i think um there is a problem if everyone is drinking to excess because it might get in the way of our responsibilities as laborers okay you know, you know our ability to function our working class model okay i've got to somebody's got to go out and do the work Okay. Yes. So if I'm a if I'm a business owner, if I'm a well, every every religion in the world, which you know, and I, I say religion because I'm more not in terms of the spiritual aspects, but the moral aspects that accompany any religious belief or any belief system, everyone talks about uh, the dangers of overindulgence and and the benefits, right? The you holiness know, of aestheticism right. and if denying I yourself pleasure. If I didn't pleasure. know any better, I would swear that capitalism came before religion. <laughs> they, I would swear that religion or, was made in capitalism's image. I think it actually came as an antidote, right? Or maybe as like a uh, a response. I to mean, because it's perfect, right? If you if you want a model that says consume, but not too much, consume, but if you don't create or make enough money, you're probably not going to get a whole lot back in return. But don't worry about it because that's actually a virtue. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, it's sort of heads I win if I'm rich and tails you lose if right. you're not. It's fine for me, but not for thee. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I probably should have started with that. If you're drinking 10 drinks a day, but you're the CEO of a company and you really right, don't right. necessarily make the wheels turn in the day-to-day, -day, right. probably not so hard. I imagine you could be CEO and not show up for work one day, and you're probably still going to be CEO the next day. Maybe even if you took off a week, but if you uh, if you lie around sobering up after a night <laughs> night out and you're just a day laborer, probably not going to keep your job. True that. Yes, you know, but it's interesting when you look at aestheticism, right, this focus on denial. Mm. When in the Middle Ages, when the parish priest would come to dine with a family once a week. I mean, it was a big deal, right? Yeah. I mean, Middle Ages, you you pulled out all the stops, you know, dressed to the nines. I mean, you would spend two or three days preparing the meal. Sure. And your priest would come. And the first thing the priest would do after blessing the food would be to take out a vial of ash. Mm. And they would pour ash all over the Freshly prepared food usually make it, be a, make it a little more bland. You don't want to enjoy too much food because nah. if you say, mm, 
Yeah. That's a that's sin. sin. Yeah. That's a sin. It, it, that's remind, gluttony. Yeah, that's gluttonous. It, it definitely reminds me of those moral crusaders, John Harvey Kellogg and Sylvester Graham. Oh, uh, okay. Kellogg's cornflakes and, and yeah. graham cracker fame. You know, those guys <laughs> those guys were moral crusaders. Their impetus for creating these snacks, if you will, Helpful snacks. was to make them healthy and health was a, um you knew it was healthy if it was bland, right? Okay, but let's go back to last episode when we talked about, or two episodes ago, we were talking about adjusting those algorithms for the greater good. Yeah. Is that necessarily a bad thing? To uh, strive to be... Better? Healthier? Yeah, to, to deny ourselves the pleasure that is inherent in every Twinkie and every delicious, delicious medium-rare burger and... Sh- Go for the cornflakes. I don't know, man. I don't. I don't deny myself very much when it comes for with to food, and it's pretty obvious. I think you know it's fine until I have cardiac arrest at age <laughs> fifty-one, which is only about six months away. Or if I have, if I uh, develop type two diabetes, and now I'm wed to the insulin in the needle. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't so, know. So I'm not there's that. there's a question, right? There's a really it's good, until good it isn't. question because how many times have you heard people say, "I don't give a, an f about X, Y, or Z. I'm going to smoke until I'm gone because I could be dead tomorrow." Yeah, that's right? that's well, a little game they play called cognitive dis- or overcoming cognitive dissonance. Right? We sure. can do that all day long. Play these little mental games. But aren't we doing the same thing every time we do anything that is bad for us? There's got to be some good. In doing what is bad. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, there's got to be a quote or a meme there. Maybe you guys <laughs> sure can, find it. can leave a comment for us. Where is the good in being bad? Um, how could it As be I so bad if it feels so good, right? Right. Yeah. I think that's just such, such an interesting idea of, you know, we, we consistently, and I, and I say we, and I, I mean this, you know, as, as a species, and I feel like human beings are unique in this mm-hmm. when I look out across the animal kingdom. And, and I'd love to know if I'm wrong. Yeah. Because you know more about animal behavior. Yeah. We're the only species that make a cognitive decision to do something that will 100% harm our long-term survival on a daily basis. Every day we choose to do something that is bad for us. Yeah. Why? Uh, first of all, I think because we can, um, we we have that We're flexibility. Smart to game the system. Yeah, we have that <laughs> flexibility. We've hacked the system, so to speak. But I would say, um, some of us can actually do it guilt free. I mean, that's I guess that's who we we call well, psychopaths. That's what right? we're talking about with the devil's advocate. Yeah, Just put if, put if down can, the bag. Yeah, if you can do it guilt free, then that's a whole different level. But yeah, animals don't necessarily do it, other than humans make the the bad choice. But even if they do make a choice that you might think, ooh. They should that would make you blush watching it. Uh, they don't they don't feel anything. I don't think towards it. They don't they don't have any problems or qualms, right? If we um, if we have sex out of wedlock, if we have extramarital uh, copulations as they're called, then we're supposed to feel guilty, right? We're supposed to like throw ourselves on the sword and say, "I'm so 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 sorry." I know. Would I've you been... feel guilty? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's part of my moral. I think. But why? I, I don't know. Where's it's part that of my moral from? code. I don't know. I agree. I don't know. Well, first of all, I know I could hurt another person whose trust I had uh, I had kept up until that moment, most likely. But yeah, if a dog were doing that, I don't think a dog well, would Well, see, that's kind of why, upset. that's kind of, you know, I think that's why we're separating sex. Yeah. Because in that instance, what you're yeah. describing is something that would be evolutionary, bene- yeah, overly, evolutionarily uh, beneficial. Well, overly indulging in sex. Would be Namely, beneficial. having sex with another partner might be beneficial to both you and the female, believe it or not. Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, whoa, whoa, whoa. I know. The female that you're... Cheating with or... Cheating on? Cheating with. Oh, cheating with. Cheating yeah, with, sure, definitely. sure. Um, yeah, but absolutely. Because it gives her a little bit of insurance, right? She got she, If she has two partners that could potentially be tricked into believing they're both the dad, then they might give her... Both sure. of them might give her resources. But that notwithstanding, um, yeah, I mean... You can overindulge a little bit in food, overindulge a little bit in spending money frivolously on things, overindulge a little bit on concert tickets to your favorite theatrical performance or band. But 
not acceptable to overindulge in sex, at least not with someone other than sure. one person. Yeah. Right. And maybe it's not sex that we'll focus on. Maybe it's monogamy that we need to focus on. Sure. Yeah. Sure. So look, um, outside of the physical pleasures, the, the drugs, the alcohol, let's talk about some of these um, just entertainment pleasures, some of these things that we enjoy, like music. I mean, music certainly predates civilization. Mm-hmm. Um, talk about the uh, evolutionary benefit to something like music or the psychological benefit that we receive when we listen to music. Is it true that we listen to music and we become smarter? For instance, is that true? Oh yeah, the the um, Beethoven's baby hypothesis, oh, right? <laughs> so I've been doing it wrong with Tupac. Well, I th- yeah, <laughs> the argument was that if you're if the um, parents of the unborn would play classical music, then that would give their kids an advantage in the wound that they would enjoy throughout life, right? Somehow, is there any uh, scientific I, I, evidence to support this? You know, the people just- that follow Daniel Levitin, Levitin. Um, who is one of the hardcore believers in this theory, they might say, oh, yeah, 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 there's some, some evidence. But it's, it's dubious. It's, uh, it's not you know, straight and narrow. The evidence is not compelling to me as I look at it, gotcha. um, despite all the efforts to link those two. Again, trying to find enough, trying to find control groups is kind of difficult, right? Because, right, again, right. parents who are going to, first of all, follow what the science says, is a special type of parent. Number two, um, who can be bothered, you know, finding classical music if you've got heartburn or diarrhea or a stomach ache or, you know, morning sickness. <laughs> but even if you feel pretty good during pregnancy, I mean, you're going to go out and buy classical music. You're going to find classical music. Um, do you have that kind of time to sit around and play that to your baby while the I'll, baby's in the womb? I'll, I'll be honest. If you guaranteed me that my son or daughter could be president of the United States. Yeah. I'm still not subjecting myself to classical music. I'm not a classical music. Do you enjoy it? I do. My daughter and I both enjoy it. We listen to it quite regularly. She's been listening to it in the van on the way to wait, school wait. ever since she was in preschool. And yeah, I let's, mean, let's clarify what we mean when we say, because again, for me, classical, that's early 90s. Uh, what, what do you mean when you say no, classical? We're, we're talking about like the, flutes and, legit. Uh-huh. and and flutes and other kinds of instruments you don't even know how to Night pronounce. Night on Baldwin alone. Mountain and all that stuff. Oh, man, all Beethoven right. and Mozart and uh, Tchaikovsky and yeah, okay, that cool. kind of stuff. Cool. You know, like this. That's classical. Okay, that sounds nice. Yeah, yeah. No, it doesn't sound nice. But Not op- to me. But the opposite is true for me. I don't like classic rock, if that's what you're talking about. She musters a smile. Michael McDonald and the birds and um, nah. So where does where does I mean where does that come from? That creation. I mean, to me, it's it's the thing that separates mankind from the lower animals. This ability to think and create in the abstract. Well, I mean, what is the benefit? Lots of animals have calls. Lots of animals um, sing and. Share yeah, vocal that's based intonations entirely and, in communication. Yeah, yeah, not for enjoyment, not for just pleasure. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. We'll have to get a ornithologist or someone who knows more about um, non-human animal. Isn't uh, that isn't that birds? Ornithology. Yeah, yeah. Well, well you're the bird watcher. Of course, I, you would know that. See, I told you he, he's a bird watcher. <laughs> I'm afraid he of knows, birds. I only knows, know what an ornithologist is. He knows the term ornithology. I had to see one. Yeah, it's a trivia thing. Yeah, we'd have to ask um, someone who knows more about communication among those that are not humans. I've recorded many songs of the natural world over the years. But yeah, for my money, I think it's just about sharing, fellowshipping, um, communicating emotions with one another. Um, there's certainly some evidence that music calms people, that music helps you release dopamine. There's evidence that it, again, reduces stress. And again, think about it just practically speaking. If you're sitting around listening to music with a bunch of other people, okay, what does that what mean? Saying. What does I that represent? First of all, it represents these people must not want to kill you. They must trust you to some degree, right? They're not so nervous about you that they're running away from you. They're willing to sit there in your company while you guys make these vocalizations together. So there is a, there's probably quite a bit of evolutionary benefit to harmonizing with one another, right? It's, it's a sort of 
I don't know, a, a, a non-verbal dance that a lot of animals could play, ourselves included. But yeah, it is fascinating. We've got a, it is. It really got a young is. lady who wants to come on and talk a little bit about what music has meant to her throughout her entire life. She's been Great. listening to it, playing it, reading it. Um, you name it, she's done it with music. She's got the tattoos to prove it. She's got the college degrees to go with it. She's teaching her child, her child, children, the same love of music that she has. So hopefully well, you know, we can get her in the studio and see what she thinks and why music's so important to her. Well, you know, from a political science perspective, right? There's always been an effort um, in civilized society to govern all of these things, either to um, you know, amplify them to encourage them and push them forward in the case of something like the NEA, the National Endowment of the Arts, mm-hmm. or to limit um, our access to material. Yeah, in the case of K through 12, you say, hey, we don't really have a music program. We don't really have a band room, but we will let you play the kazoo <laughs> for 10 minutes a week. Um, yeah, yeah. Although that's a that's a cut, not uh, oh, I know. <laughs> it's not a law. Yeah. Well, politicians I'm, would never think, call it a cut. I'm not on the board. Politicians anymore. wouldn't call I'm that not a on cut. The board. It's not politicians my fault. would call that uh, reallocation. Itiner- it's itinerants. My kids come home and go, "Yeah, we had itinerants." I'm like, "Itinerants? What's that?" And they're like, "You know, like music, art, PE, computer coding, blah 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 blah." I'm like, "How often do you get that?" They're like, "Oh, once a day." I'm like, "For how long?" They're like, "Ah, 15, 20 minutes." I'm like, "Oh my god!" So. All the introduction to music, art, PE, computers, library sciences, and the rest that students get in elementary school, at least in New Hanover County, ladies and gentlemen, is only a few minutes a day. Isn't that something? Because nothing gets in the way of math, reading, and... (laughs) Okay, well, listen to this. Uh, This is from uh, the 1990 movie, Dead Poets Society, Robin Williams, talking to his class um, about... Necessary to sustain life. Poetry, beauty, romance, love. These are what we stay alive for. Oh, yeah, that's a great one. So great he one. says, right? Great late you know, Robin Williams, ladies so, and gentlemen. So that's what he said. You know, all of the things like reading, writing, math that, you know, lay the foundation for an education mm-hmm. or, uh, I'm sorry, for a career yeah. uh, in business, in mathematics, in engineering, medicine, et cetera. Yeah. All of those things are. Great, they're necessary to sustain life, but right. life is about art. Yeah, and they don't really music give you identity. They don't really give you the same kind of value and meaning, do they? No. So I, I guess I would ask you: Would you, for your children, mm-hmm. would you focus more on their pleasure and happiness, or more on their or ability on to the earn money, money, the money part? I definitely want to focus. I mean, I, I know you want both. Everybody wants yeah, both. Yeah, but but if I'm if you I'm going to lean towards one or the other, it's going to your job. Oh, it's absolutely one hundred percent going to be towards them living a more meaningful, happy, sustainable wow. life. Wow. And 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 here's the thing: rich people kill themselves every day, baby. You know, so do poor people. Poor people do as well, but rich people have no excuse. At least if you believe capitalism, that's true. Right? If you believe it's all about accumulating shit, it's all about. You know, he who lives best is going to be the one that can die with the most toys, right, or hoard the most money under the bed. Then they shouldn't be, uh, they shouldn't be killing themselves off. Well, dozens also, of people, when they lost all of their money, yeah, in the crash of twenty nine, mm-hmm. and there's you know famous pictures, they jumped out the window. Oh yeah, yeah. Just because they didn't have that anymore. See, one thing's for sure, man. I don't, nor have I ever made really enough money to make me. Do something that would jeopardize my personal integrity. It's I, I really I'm not I'm not going to do that. Talk about work life balance. I think I think there's a lot of things way more important, way more meaningful than than going in and hitting I the think, grind and accumulating a couple of dollars. I think that's very true. I also think that's a lot different than not caring. You know, we just did that uh, podcast before you went on your trip about mm-hmm. money. Yeah, and you know it's a common oh I don't care about money. I don't care about money in insofar as I'm not going to do something for money that I find unethical. There you go. But my banker cares about money and the person who's, you know, selling me food cares about money and yeah. the person who is, you know, letting me or taking my money to buy a car for my daughter, he cares about money or she cares about money. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it's not as simple as 
you know, pleasure over money. Uh, no, but being getting back the end to that. But getting back to that economic question of um, return on investment, right? Yep. If you knew that you were going to get one percent additional happiness for working an additional ten hours a week, no matter how much money you earned in those ten hours, or you could spend thirty minutes a week on an activity like journaling about what you should be thankful for, and you could receive seven percent return on the investment regarding happiness. I mean, think about what you should do. Right. If you want to optimize right. happiness, right. then you're going to be spending money being more grateful and thankful and reflecting. Yep. Again, that's not something that a lot of us do. I heard a comedian just the other night talk about this. He's like, look, rich people uh, are miserable because they can't stop, take any time to smell the roses. Sure, they can go to work, build empires even, have all of this wealth that they accumulate, give their families, anything and everything, but do they actually stop to appreciate it? No. That same personality that drove them in the first place to accumulate and to build and to develop is still very much at play, you know, even when they have reached the mountaintop. They don't just, they can't just turn that off, right? So, so maybe money then isn't uh, causation. Maybe it's correlation. Maybe yeah, we're chasing phantoms, maybe. We're maybe, chasing uh, a maybe, shadow. And maybe, maybe that, you know, $120,000, $130,000 price point yeah, sweet is, is where I'm working, but I'm also, I am also have plenty of time to indulge in other things, Yeah. whereas the $500,000 a year salary is, I'm just working, and I'm yeah. working, and I'm working, and I'm working. And don't get me wrong. It's not to suggest that people who make 500000 are working that much harder, like five right, times right, more right. than no, you I or I at 100000 and, and vice versa. Excuse me. And I'm also not saying that if I make $100,000, i am working 10 times harder than the people that make 10000 In fact, people that make $10,000 a year probably work harder than I do and spend more time at it. So, so there is that. I mean, a, again, a little bit of extra money if you're dirt poor um, is going to go a long way. But if you already have an average salary, say $81,000 to $100,000 uh, for a family of four, you're probably not going to get a ton of additional happiness. So let's uh, let's circle back a bit and talk now, or uh, you know, let's take a quick break and talk on the other side. I want to get into uh, the amphitheater plays, uh, the gladiator games, and we sort yeah, of sport. nudge let's into talk a little, bit about a little sport. sports, and we can nudge into a little Netflix, yeah, and a little sport, a little uh, we get we can Netflix and chill, sports and games. <laughs> Oh, yeah. We're back. This is the other side. Sports and games. Sports, sports and, and games. games. You know, games. Do you believe sport and games are the same thing? Can you have a game oh, without a sport I, or a I sport love without a game? I love this question. Students, except I'm absolutely amped up. Let's do some rapid fire. You yeah, ready? Yeah, let's do it. Rapid fire. Here right. we go. Chess, sport or no? No. Bowling? Yes. Baseball? Yes. Golf? Absolutely. Mm. Crew? Yes. Uh, cornhole, no. Ooh, so let me I tell you. Let me tell, let me tell you, you the uh, you non-redneck redneck. No, no, let me come on. You got to ask me to, uh, what I was using as my criteria. Give me your metric for what a sport is. Can you get hurt it? doing it? <laughs> <laughs> you can absolutely cornhole. Get, yes. Those bags don't hurt, man. I guess yes. you load them with BBs, maybe you can, elbow injuries. You can get no, no, carpal no. tunnel. From I guess you could fall over from drinking the beer. And in golf, I figure a stray ball could hit you, but it's not quite as likely as they make it out on television. What's the closest but, but call? crew, you could drown. Um, baseball, definitely I've taken some dingers to the head. What else? Uh, obviously football. But no, backgammon chess, you're not getting hurt at that. Again, unless you've got a really serious game going and somebody's just like broken a rule and you're not going to have it. Okay, so we already touched uh, a little bit in our episode on community about you know, how tribal uh, sports are. Let's talk for a minute, though, um, about we'll get into the Gladiator games. We'll start in Greece and talk about some of those plays, um, you know, just time spent at the amphitheater. What is what is this, the, this, this benefit? Is it, like you said, sort of with eating or with anything social, this, hey, at least they don't want to kill me? Yeah, this camaraderie? bringing people together, uh, something to do with your free time if you've got an opportunity to spend time in that way um 
Yeah, I mean, maybe a little form of entertainment, right? Yeah. Is good for the masses, right? Like if you don't Absolutely. Especially if the entertainment is, is if the entertainment is cheap enough, I think it's probably good from the from the Lord or the King's perspective, right? Absolutely. As long as I don't have to invest too much in it, my people can partake in it and maybe keep their mind off of like all of the largesse and all of the surplus or excess I'm taking. Free food and free entertainment for the man, masses, man. Absolutely. Any business leader knows if you want somebody to come to a late afternoon meeting, just put a little food and drink on the table. They'll be there. Absolutely. Very important. You ever been to a meeting and there's nothing to drink, nothing to eat? <laughs> I absolutely have been to You don't many stay very long, me- right? Have been to many a meeting. It's hard to it? stay in a meeting, right? It's hard, hard to go to a meeting that lasts all day and there be nothing but a Nutrigrain bar there yeah, or with a, a half-empty bottle of water. Yeah. No, it's not half-empty. It's just those little eight-ounce bottles. That's the one. Yeah, I've had that before. Man, which is don't even want to ask who that employer was. Yeah, it was just unpleasant. But look, here's the thing. I think that from a political science standpoint, controlling the masses through entertainment. Look, if you have, especially in a place like ancient Rome, yeah. where they were so heavily reliant on slave labor, yeah, there was there were no jobs. No. So when you have high unemployment in a society, and like you look at a society today, like uh, Egypt, yeah. you look at other you know Middle Eastern countries where they're Better have an outlet for these people. Yeah, because look, you know, uh, all work and no, or you know, it's you, you got to have something for people to do. Yeah, something for idle them to focus hands on uh, is the devil's uh, work. Play thing, play, or play. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not in the church no, of Satan. No. So, but I know something about idle no, hands. No, I get you. I get you. But no, I mean, I think it's really important. So you look at something like, I mean, the heavy investment, the uh, just unimaginable investment was there any evidence currently is there any evidence do you think um looking at socioeconomic status and how much time and energy and investment people put into sport i certainly think about college football and how many people are at these games who never actually went to college many of them are blue collar and man they're rabid fans right they wear the gear they scream the loudest they paint their faces they're the same ones fighting over the um the fact that their team was was uh, officiated incorrectly. These guys are supporters. And gals, some of them. These guys and gals are the same supporters who were watching Knights 900 years ago mm-hmm. and watching Gladiators 2,000 years ago. Um, and not a bad thing. No, 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 not a bad thing at all. And like I said, I, I know, and I, I said in my table, uh, or I said, you know, in the intro, the violence um, in these sports, you know, is often criticized. Yeah. Uh, what's that movie? Will Smith, the concussion. Concussion, right? Yeah. And uh, we're doing it all over, aren't we? We're doing it all we're, over. We're it's criticizing no, it's, again. It's I'm no like, different. you know, the people who are watching this and loving this, right? They're watching it specifically because of the violence, specifically because someone gets hurt, specifically because there is there's real mortality on the line here. At least it feels like there is. You start you start um, bubble wrapping these kinds of forms of entertainment, right? Censoring music, um, putting the clothes back on the people in the theater or in the movies, right? Boring. And I'm sorry, but you're going to get maybe some of the members of the nanny state. You might get a few extra of those uh, coming, watching your performance, listening to your event or watching your event, listening to your performance. But yeah, you're no, not I mean, going to grow your, you're not going to grow your, no, uh, um, working class population in that way well it's not just working class we're naturally drawn to sex and violence but i'm wondering if if the working class is disproportionately drawn to things like sport particularly violent sport Hmm. i don't have any evidence to back that up i'm sure there's something i'd love to talk to a sociologist about something like that maybe we can bring one on i think that it's such a natural outlet you know those sports, the the games took place uh, not during planting season. No, so the gladiatorial games took place. There's, there's a downtime. There's yeah. and they were cheap. A, there's right? an outlet. You didn't have to pay to get into those. So what the it is interesting. What the Roman Empire would do, the government would send people tickets, and you would go yeah. on your day. And it, you know, if there's a, a games that lasted 60, 70 days. You can count on going two, maybe three times. Yeah. Um, and you knew your seats. You just got a ticket yeah. like tickets today. It's not like that anymore. No. I mean, no, not look, like that anymore. television, say what you want about it, it's still relatively inexpensive, right? Sure. Um, sure. So if you want to catch a football game on just regular television during the season, you can do that. And today, I mean, anymore, 
it feels almost like you're at the game watching it at home on your big screen. I mean, you can live in a in a shack, in a shed and have a very large, nice high def television, right? Yeah. For just a couple hundred dollars. I know Walmart's got 75 inches for less than 500 right now. Well, I think we have to be honest with where we are as a society and we live in the golden age of television. Sure do. I mean, 100%, right? So we're we're getting There are a few universal truths when it comes to entertainment mm-hmm. and you know them as well as I do because they're universal. Yeah. One is that the 90s was the absolute pinnacle of music. I, I, Closer I'm than sorry, the seventies, absolutely. You have no, a toothache? No, you have a toothache? Is definitely, wrong? definitely closer to the pinnacle than the seventies, and certainly than the sixties or fifties. And most right? assuredly you can than fight the eighties. Me on that, but uh, yes, oh, I agree. You got a Gen Xer here, folks. But no, I'm not a Gen. You're Xer. a Gen Xer. No, I'm a millennial. You're I'm a Gen, a Gen X guy. Xer, but You're no, I don't Xer. love the eighties. My wife does, but I what don't do you, love the eighties. What do you like? We did. What do you my like? wife and I did meet at an eighties gig. My friend was doing downtown Wilmington about ten years ago. Oh, God. Maybe 11 years ago now. What horrific music. Yeah. Even the movies were bad. Like, even the good movies, oh. like Top Gun. Top Gun is a bad movie. Now, the sequel is actually pretty good. Yeah. Well, no, and I Top can't. Gun is watchable, but Again, it's not like a great movie. If it movie. was a John Hughes film, right? If it okay, was, there we go. They now were, we're okay, right? Yes. In, anything, Breakfast Club. Any John timeless. Hughes. Yeah, that's okay. Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Anything oh, with John Candy. Come on. Go, Planes, Trains. I love that Speaking one. of John Candy and speaking of Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, um, what about storytelling? What about humor? Yeah, we haven't touched on that at all. Comedy. 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 Let's right, talk about right. comedy in terms of the good life. Comic relief. Tell me about what it is. So when my wife and I, and you just got back, I'm sure you went to a couple of comedy shows. When my wife and I cruise, we love the comedy shows. They're like, great, we, aren't we they? Don't, what talent? What, well, and I'm just thinking, why aren't <laughs> no, these people some on? Some of them aren't that talented. Well, some are good. I thought they were talented. Some Maybe it's because I had had a, quite a few drinks in me before I the, went and listened. The more you drink, the funnier they get. Oh, well, that makes sense. Now, now I understand why I don't. I don't see their, they're not on their on YouTube or they don't have their yeah, own cause, specials. Because you're not guaranteed to be drinking when no. you're watching YouTube. Yeah, but what is that? What? Are, what? Are, I mean, what about humor um, and comedy is beneficial? I mean, I think comedy, humor, storytelling, uh, the ability to relate to people, kindness. I mean, all these things, again, are ways to connect, ways to sort of sell yourself, demonstrate your quality as a potential friend or mate other than just being strong and fast and a good fighter right is like an, again not everybody's going to be though? six four not everybody's going to be attractive not everybody's going to be strong fast right is there something in the brain that i mean I, i'm that sure is, laughter releases dopamine sure i'm guessing i don't know i mean the, the funny thing is the more the more i start laughing the more i laugh i don't yeah. know like, there's got to be something chemical that happens well again i think we're more likely to laugh when we're in a group than if we're alone so even if the comedy is not funny we're more likely to laugh when we're with other people versus when we're all right now i got a really good question for you and if we're with family i think people that we respect people that we know the most we're even more likely to laugh no matter how terrible the comedy is is there an emotional um is, is there a psychological problem with not laughing that is a very because good question. Because I've seen yeah. some, I, there are some people in public life who don't laugh. Yeah, I mean. And it freaks me out. I, I don't want to go into clinical psychology too much because it's going to be offensive without some context. But let's just say there are some diagnoses that are associated with people that appear to take things too seriously. They don't appear to um, be able to communicate with the kinds of emotions that we typically ascribe to humans. You probably can imagine who I'm talking about. Sure. Um, and men are more likely to have one of these diagnoses. Really? That is important to remember. And it's also possible that um, some of them might have sort of maneuvered their way through the body politic. I don't know. It, it seems difficult <laughs> that you could you could rise through the ranks politically and not be at least good at faking that you connect to people emotionally. Sure. Like Ron DeSantis, I'm talking to you. How in the world <laughs> did that guy get as popular as he is when Without he's laughing. a terrible human being. Likewise, Trump. has You don't see Trump laughing too much. He's so dark and serious, and he's such a curmudgeon, and he's such a whiny little bitch. <laughs> DeSantos <laughs> is the same way. It's like you, they're cut from the same cloth. You saw, uh, you, you did see, even like politicians that you might not have agreed with, you saw... Reagan was always laughing. Yeah, you George know, Bush. Bush was always <laughs> that laughing. That silly little laugh he had. I mean... <laughs> If you can't laugh at yourself, Obama was a laugher. Yeah. He was a Joe Biden Joe especially Biden. laughs. Oh, He's yeah, constantly yeah. laughing. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 for sure. 
So would you vote for somebody that can't laugh or can't laugh at himself, can't find anything funny? No, that's really concerning. Yeah, it does. Really it concerns con- me it's as well. Depressing when people. Like I thought it was bad enough that Trump eats uh, his steak with ketchup. Well done with ketchup, but the well, fact know, that he doesn't like and he doesn't like animals. I don't think. No, he realize doesn't. I don't think he has any animals. Well, you know, I always say that's the one thing. When I was, oh, excuse me, that's one of many things that bother me about Western religion is this portrayal of a god that's like devoid of joy and yeah, laughter no sense of humor like you don't yeah it's so he's not experiencing the full range of human emotions it starts to right, make you wonder that's is, right that's is right. he on the spectrum is god on the spectrum <laughs> oh i don't know about that um i don't know but uh i think that's such a key part of what it means to be human is well to i wish you know there's got to be someone out there that's continuing the legacy of robert provine uh here's a guy i read university of maryland maybe or NC State, I can't remember exactly, but he did this treatise, this his his uh, piece de resistance, I guess. Hell, his his most famous book, at least that I read, was on laughter, uh, and he gets into the evolution of laughter and humor and uh, the the connection uh, with other people when you laugh. And <laughs> I, I can't remember if he had a chapter or if he had a, a section on those that don't find things funny, those that don't laugh. But there's got there's got to be some research out there on it. So you know, any of our listeners who specialize in um, I'll, I'll comedy or the neuroscience of laughter, please leave us a comment. Let us know. I'd love to have you on to talk more intelligently about this because it's a fascinating topic. I'll offer a psychological nugget. Okay. I don't, and I'm just thinking in my own life, I can't recall a time where I have ever laughed at somebody that I truly disliked. No. You know no. what I mean? Yeah. I mean, okay, wait, no, I've probably laughed at those people, but I've never laughed with somebody. When somebody that I disdain, even though they might have said something funny, mm-hmm. um, they've, I, I don't enjoy that. So maybe yeah. laughter is a, uh, a communication in uh, a and sense. And certainly, of, maybe it communicates vu- vulnerability. Yeah, it's yeah. a certain vulnerability it communicates. Sure. Yeah. So look, let's finish up with a couple more uh, modern forms of entertainment. Let's mm. uh, move a little bit into. Uh, Modern amusements like uh, go karting, amusement parks, um, maybe some adrenaline. Um, okay, you're, things. Some yeah, escape a little, rec- rooms, right? little, little recreational uh, drug use, right? Uh, Alcohol, uh, caffeine. Well, we can do that, I guess. Yeah, but I'm, ta- I'm talking about like you know wh- those types of entertainment. Why do people enjoy, activities? Why do people enjoy those activities? Ooh, that's a what good is, question. What is the benefit of scaring yourself to death? By the way, you're talking to a. G-Force junkie. junkie. Watching I horror love, films. Oh, I you love, like horror films? I love well. horror films. Like spicy foods? I absolutely loathe so, spicy foods. Interesting. Well, I do know there's some neuroscience behind thrill seeking. Is there a connection between yeah, people yeah, yeah. who like thrill seeking so and thrill spicy seekers, foods? So thrill seekers, spicy food, um, trying drugs, especially cigarettes, and alcohol. See, I don't do any drugs. Right, me either. I mean, I, I, so, I drink so, alcohol, but so I, I love. I loved roller coasters i don't love them i guess i still love them but i'm too tall and heavy to get on them anymore oh. which is really sad you go to these parks and it's like nope you're too tall for you're too our heavy. listeners can I, you please explain what that means that means I that, mean, we don't have to be precise you know when when most of our it's listeners but, went to amusement parks myself included back in the day there was just like a little signage there that would be about three to four feet tall and if you were taller than that you were good to go on the ride if you weren't then they would say, sorry, you have to go find a, a more I've of a kiddie ride. S- I've never seen Now, that. nowadays, the these rides are so fast, so delicately balanced, I guess. So ex- oh, maybe there's just more litigation today. But at any rate. I just meant we how just, tall are you? Yeah. Well, I, I'm 6'4", and I'm almost 300 pounds. So I no. couldn't fit in the. So now they have these um, chairs, right, that have the. The shoulder straps or whatever, the the thing that comes down over your head, they have those outside of rides at Dollywood, for instance. That was the last amusement park I went to back in uh, Christmas. And I would sit down, and I couldn't fit in the chair, and I couldn't get the thing over me. So nothing would ever buckle. So I knew that if I can't get this prototype to fit around me, that was a good indication that when I got on the actual ride, it wasn't, wasn't going to connect either. Interesting. I got to ride one fun thing, and I honestly was probably too big for that. It was one of those Alpine um, coasters. Oh yeah, you ever yeah, rode, yeah, rode oh, one yeah. of those? Yep. My son and I rode it together, and I was worried that he wasn't going to fit on with me because I was taking up so much room. And boy, 
We got out and shot out of there like a bat out of hell. We were the first one down, and he was white as a ghost when we got to the bottom because I never hit the brake. You know, we just rolled. Well, we mentioned when we talked about religion of the three great views of the world, right? Sure. And we talked about the world as a play. Yeah. And I think there's something to that when you look at people who like to scare themselves, like I do, apparently mm-hmm. like you do, to death yeah. without actually being in in danger. Right? Yeah. Like, because there's not a lot of reason to do that, except that you're bored. You're bored. And or you want you, to, It does make you feel alive. It, there's a little dopamine that's released when you well, are I always say just about that to... The, the, truest point uh, the only place in the world where you know you're alive is when you're at the, the threshold he- of death uh, or on the head of a pin or head of a spike yeah right because yeah. you you know where you are yeah um and there's no doubt about it yeah. and I, I i do feel and i'm sure you have as well there's such an exhilaration associated mm-hmm. with those types of rides well, I will say that as I've grown older, and maybe this is just convenient to say because I'm now so big I can't ride these rides, but again, I don't seem to enjoy the amusement park as much. I don't enjoy horror films as much as I used to. They don't scare me. In fact, I was telling my wife not too long ago that I went camping before I met her by myself up in Pilot Mountain one time, and I took my computer to do a little bit of work and took some books in my hammock and as I was lying in the tent one night, it was relatively early. It was dark, but relatively early still. I turned my computer on, and I had bought a, um, a Redbox DVD. It was a little horror film, homegrown horror film. I pop it in, and the thing opens with these kids driving down the interstate, and you can see the very mountain I'm camping on, Pilot Mountain. <laughs> and it was like murder That's and mayhem. Cool, and man. That's cool. It, it made me think. Sounds like the start it, of a murder. It podcast. made me think for a couple of seconds. Like, ooh, this is this is a little close to home. But admittedly, it didn't make me turn it off. I wasn't really that scared. In fact, I don't know that any movie has scared me. People, my students in particular, always say, "Mr. McCoy, have you seen this movie? That movie? I bet it's scary." Really, the only thing that scared me in the last 15, 20 years has been The Stranger. Oh, okay. Our strangers. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then I'm hearing you. that the um, one that was first or second place at Sundance um, that looks at the banality of evil, the um, zone of interest, it's the space out, just outside of Auschwitz. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, wow. That yeah. that one allegedly is going to be pretty terrifying, but but obviously for different reasons, not not like boo. Right. Um, yeah. yeah. I I don't I don't uh, I don't think I could be scared in like a Halloween house or something like that. No. Nah. Like because I. My, my but mind, it's fun watching people scream and run. Yeah, but my mind just knows that that's it's not, not real, real yeah. and I can't. Well, I wonder if that's privilege, too. I wonder if the more privileged you are, the... Hardy, hard to scare. Yeah, I wonder, right? Well, maybe or, that's why I will, I will say, yeah, sometimes when I watch, uh, I watch the working class or the very poor in a movie theater, I think about some of my own family members, man. We go to the movies back in the day, and they'd hoot and holler, and I'm like, ah. Is it really that scary? <laughs> yeah. Again, same way with like football games. I went to the uh, Green Bay Packers Dallas Cowboys last year for my fiftieth birthday. Went all the way to um, Green Bay, and I don't think uh, I don't think I was screaming that loudly. I mean, I was screaming, but not like some of the fans. Well, I'm like, act like you've been here before, and they're like, yeah, act like you've been here before. This is what we do every week. <laughs> you know, it, it is though. It's easy, I think, to look at all these things as. Modern conveniences, uh, it's easy to sort of dismiss pop culture as just that, that it's just not that important. Yeah, or, just a frivolous form yeah, of entertainment. And, and I think if you look back from the historical perspective, certainly from the political science perspective, uh, we don't view it that way. No. Historians don't, political scientists don't, because we do regulate it and we do encourage it when we yeah. need to. And I think there's something else at play here, I think, but yet, ironically, we still have people. Dave Ramsey, I'm talking to you, right? The money man. Dave oh, Ramsey. Dave Ramsey, and and many other politicians who say, you know, you just need to be more scrupulous. You need to yeah. spend your money more wisely. You need to make better decisions. Don't get that coffee at Starbucks, and don't don't spend your money on all this these things, right? Yeah, but you know, the worst thinking, thing in the well, world to be you don't you don't want those people you don't want poor people um flogging themselves and sacrificing their cup of coffee their budweiser or their yeah, one 
you know, one day a week watching the race or watching a football game. Jason, I'm, so, I'm so glad you brought that up because, you know, I do think – so I know that I've had conversations with um, family members yeah, uh, talking about, you know, man, you guys are going on another trip. You yeah. could save all of that money. Sure could. And that's what I, I, I absolutely could. I don't want to. No. Because – Tomorrow is not guaranteed, and I'm not saying that as a fatalist. I don't want no, to misunderstand. No, you're And also, yeah, you're and not. And I am prepared for tomorrow. You're, you're, you're paying your mortgage and everything sure, else sure. first. Yes, but I, Absolutely. yeah, but I'm with you. I feel like I don't I, want to be the richest ghost in the graveyard. I don't respect myself or my family or my job or anybody else who don't have the excess that I do. I don't respect enough if I don't spend a little. Well, and and I know that I'm all not, myself. And I know I'm not making the best financial decisions. No. To travel to Rio de Janeiro and pay $12,000 is not the best financial decision for a family that makes less than $100,000 no. a year. No. I know that. No. I, I, I accept that. That's fine. What I don't like is judgment for those indulgences. So as we wrap up, I do want to talk a little bit about the indulgences and the dangers of overindulgence. Look, I think the key is How's that put, less the, the put less put of less it on Facebook. Put less of it on Facebook. <laughs> if you just tell fewer people. Take the bricks out of the bag. Don't yeah, feel tell guilty. fewer people about how you're spending your money, then I think you'll be much happier. <laughs> no, but seriously, how do we how do we know that we're doing it right? How do we know we're living the good life? If you're when it comes sharing to our it with others and helping to optimize their happiness, whether they be family friends or even perfect strangers. But you could I still go overboard. You could. But I think that's a pretty good rule of thumb for me is that's a starting how point. how much of what I'm doing is for just me versus me and someone else. Jason, you just got back uh, for your 50th birthday. Yeah. You look 50. You got the gray. Thanks. <laughs> you got back for your 50th birthday and you went to a Packer game. Yeah. Um I don't want to ask you how much it cost, but I'm sure it was expensive. Well, let's just say it wasn't $12,000 like going to Rio, but keep in mind, I only went for a couple of days. But I uh, took my brother along with me. Let's just say tickets were more money than I've ever spent on anything other than a mortgage in a month. Wow. Each. <laughs> wow. And let's just say. Did your brother pay the, or was it your, uh, your treat? He paid for some things, I paid for some things, um, but I'll say the second most expensive thing we did was just getting an Uber for about three or four miles from the stadium oh, I bet. I to bet. a hotel. We're talking two, 250 bucks to go two or three miles. I bet. I probably should have walked it, but I'd already been. Would you ever, ever, ever get that money? If you could right now, could mm -hmm. you? would you take that money back and erase that experience? Forget that experience. No way. Not in a million years. Well, that makes me feel good because two weeks from now, um, and we'll Taylor talk about Taylor Swift, baby, uh, Taylor uh, Swift. Not me, not me, not me. I'm not going to Taylor right. Swift. My daughters are. Yeah. Um, so so that's that's going to be your Green Bay Packer experience, except you're not going to go. Well, I'll enjoy the night Yeah. Um, alone. But I do, you know, my kids are about to get cars. Yeah. I would love to get them a nicer car. Yeah. Um, and I hope that they don't resent me for not getting them a nicer car, but uh, I, I am excited that they get to experience well, that and they start to to enjoy their life because let, you let only them, go this way once. Well, let them choose, you know. Put those tickets on the secondary market for Taylor Swift and tell them they can probably get a much, much nicer car. <laughs> I, I will. I will. All right, man. Well, I appreciate it this week. Appreciate all my listeners. I hope you guys will continue to follow, download, and share. And we will see you back in about a week. All right. All right, man. Well, hey, have a good week. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. All right, man. Later.